Welcome to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, Bubba, today we're going to be interviewing a friend of the program, uh, Chris Hodges, founding and senior pastor of Church of the Highlands. Uh, Church of the Highlands has campuses uh, all over. Uh, at, at last estimate, about 60,000 people attending weekly. Uh, and we, he and I just talked about the, the Association of Related Churches before we started this, and this is a church planning uh, organization that's planning churches all over the country and around the world. And uh, so, Chris, welcome to Rick and Bubba. So glad to be here. We, we're going to talk about your latest book, uh, and we can talk about other stuff too, but uh, this was really intriguing because the book is called Out of the Cave. It's available everywhere, already a bestseller in three categories. The Ford is done by Rick Warren. Uh, and out of the cave, uh, stepping into the light when depression uh, darkens what you see. I, I have had uh, I've had so many people throughout my time of of you know being part of being discipled or discipling others or ministering to people, uh, even people that I know personally that they get into a time of depression, right? And the first thing they think of is what's wrong with my faith, right? Uh, am, am I out of God's will? Am, am, I, am I out of God's favor? Uh, am I doing something wrong? Uh, is it possible for someone who has an extremely strong faith to go through depression, or is that just a worldly thing? And, and obviously you've been through the same thing because here is the book. Yeah, so my journey actually began uh, in 1999, uh, the only time I've ever really been what I thought was clinically depressed. And I'm, I'm not that type. I'm, in fact, I was very critical of people who were depressed saying, like, just get over it. Like, be happy. Yeah. Just, you know, choose it until I experienced it. And I was still living in Baton Rouge at the time. I was an associate pastor. Um, and I, I, after that year, I, it was so bad that I thought, you know, if, if something doesn't happen soon, I'm going to need to check myself into some kind of uh, treatment. And, help. But I was, I was hiding behind it. I was, I was smiling at church, you know, doing my job. Everything's great. Praise God. Oh, isn't it great? Yeah. And inside, just I felt like a, f- a fake, you know. And and so, and it's actually interesting. That's actually um, part of the story is what brought me to Birmingham. Is I was in in Birmingham in May of 2000 watching the SEC baseball tournament. When I got, I felt uh, a call of God to move to this city to plant a church. And 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 literally, the depression left within a few days. And I write about it in the book, the power of a project or having a new assignment from God, that a lot of times what our, our depression is is just simply that we're just in the wrong spot doing the wrong thing, and that's why we're coming up empty. And there's a lot of research around it I'd love to talk about, but, but uh, that's actually what uh, brought me to Birmingham in the first place. So, And then in 2018, um, there was a rash of pastoral suicides. So, And one of them pretty... It, the last, the last of the three made national news, and I didn't know any of the guys, but it, it, it impacted me like I knew these guys personally, and that's when I decided to write the book. In fact, it started with just preaching one message, and that message became the most rewatched message at our church times a hundred, um, and so I knew I'd hit a nerve, and so it took a couple years to research and write about it. So that's kind of the the, the, the short version of why this book exists. Chris, I think, you know, as Christians, we, we have people go through all kinds of problems. And, you know, it seems like we're very quick when it's cancer and heart and, you know, these things that, you know. But for some reason, depression, mental illness, it's, it's just an area of people. It's hard to get fired up about oh, there's almost, a stigma. you know. Yeah, well, why is that, you think? 
Yeah, I don't know. I just um, there's always been a stigma around mental illness when really the mind is j- just another part of the body. Just right. like I'm wearing right. glasses right now, my eyes are obviously <laughs> aren't at peak efficiency, and nobody thinks any differently of me because of that. And so there has been this wow. You know, there's something bigger than just the medical side. And by the way, the research is showing there are about 30 percent of people who by no fault of their own, uh, it's genetic, it's biological. And they need I think I think just like I needed medical help with my eyes, they need they need medical help um, with their minds. I have a son who's on the autism spectrum and he has to have some medication to, in his words, put the wires back together. Yeah. And it works great for him, you know, and he's fine. But there is a stigma around it. And I think that's changing, by the way. I think I think the church is getting better about transparency, honesty, and especially, you know, with its leaders, because there's has been this tendency for in the church world just to put on. We wear, our, you know, we wear our Sunday best. We put on our smile when really there's a whole lot of pain going on. And, and do you think too some of it is the fact that we live in America when we do, and we have all these modern conveniences, and certainly we have problems that go with that too, but you look around the world, and I know you've been on mission trips, and if you go out of the country, you go, my goodness, we've got it good here. Do you think there's some of that too? How can we be depressed when we got all of this? Yeah, because that stuff doesn't, uh, aren't the things that actually satisfy. So some of the best research was around an Austrian Jewish psychiatrist named Viktor Frankl. He wrote this bestseller called Man's Search for Meaning. He was actually directly uh, confronting Freud's theory that life is all about pleasure. Mm-hmm. So Sigmund Freud said, look, this, you get money, you get a, the house you want, you go on the trips you want, you're gonna, you're, that's going to fix you. And, and Frankl said, no, 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 life's not about pleasure, it's about meaning. And if you don't have meaning, you'll dull your life with pleasures. And I, honestly, and, and they'll run dry. It's, there's this... Um, it's a fancy word. It's kind of fun to know words that, that you know, it's called an, anhedonia. And it means. That is fancy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you very much. And so, <laughs> but this anhedonia means it used to bring you pleasure, but now it doesn't. You've run empty on it. So you still try to pursue that, that right. meal or that trip right. or that. And it's like, man, this is not fun anymore because life's not about that. Well, and, and I have to ask the question to us, as, especially the church how many more people do we have to see? that have everything that the world says they should have, that Freud said they should yeah, have. i.e. Hollywood. <laughs> and they exactly. end up either, God forbid, buying into the lie uh, to kill themselves, uh, to lose all hope, to, 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 to steer themselves into a depression they never come out of. Because we, we, are, we are, I don't want to say fortunate, but you know we all learn from other people's mistakes. We learn from our own mistakes, other people's suffering, our own suffering. So when we see that other people have already had this happen, why do we? Why? Are, why do you think we're delusional about it when it starts happening to us that the world really can't satisfy us? And I don't want to be corny yeah. and do the God size hole and all that, but it is true. Our problem, you know, to be to be completely content is for us to be right with God. Yeah. But but even when you're right with God, that doesn't mean that you won't still go through difficulty. And and in this book, you take on you know what Elijah went through. Right. Because that's the first thing when I'm talking to people about this is I, I say, well, let's get in Scripture. And let's start looking at people that we none of us think they're not right with God, or or, the, or that they've done something, you know, that, uh, that they may be behaving the wrong way. But even the most devout can find themselves in this position, and uh, and you kind of use uh, Elijah and walk through his story to give an example of uh, someone that I, don't we all expect to see right. Elijah in heaven? I mean, uh, <laughs> don't we all think that Elijah got a well done? But but he wasn't perfect, and 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 he. He, he entered into times of doubt, depression, and fear 
even after he'd seen God work in incredible ways. So the reason, to answer your first question, that people still try to bark up that pleasure tree is I don't think they've been, ever been taught the option right. that there really is, you have, you have a purpose for your life. It was so interesting about Frankel's uh, study. He, he developed this theory that he thought he developed, by the way, that's all in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> I always love it when science th- thinks they discover what, what God always knew, right? <laughs> so, um, but he said logotherapy was three things that, that you need to find meaningful work, he called it, a community of friends, and then take whatever suffering you've experienced and turn it into, into a way to help others. Well, that's all in the Bible. Correct. And, and those are the things that actually bring true joy on the inside. And that's what happened to Elijah. So you, you brought up Elijah. Elijah, in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, has these two major spiritual victories, you know, where he defeats the prophets of Baal. God consumes this water-soaked sacrifice. You have... You know, he prays for rain from, from a three-year drought, and three verses later, he's under a tree wanting to die. Right. Which, by the way, side note, a lot of depression happens after your highest of highs. Because we, we kind of let up. We, I think we, we take our guard down, or we're, we're really exhausted, and we don't realize how exhausted we are. And Can't really, maintain that high. Yeah, and it's yeah. the devil's playground, honestly, uh, um, when we get exhausted like that. But he was ready to take his life. And what's interesting is there was a five-step process in chapter 19 of how he uh, got depressed and then got, got out of that cave of depression. And so, anyway, that's what I wrote about. I actually outlined the First yeah. Kings 19 is the book. All right, we'll come back. We'll talk more about that, and we will talk some of the specifics. We can't go through the whole book today. That's why you need to get it. Uh, so we'll come back. We'll talk more about this with Chris Hodges when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. All right, so we're talking to Chris Hodges. The book is Out of the Cave into the light when depression darkens what you see. Uh, you take Elijah. You know, I, Bubba and I always talk about this too, even even though it's not in this book, it's similar. We talk about Moses. You know, when Moses really, when we, we actually use this from the Bible, like when you get to the point where you're just done, and really Moses goes to God and says, would you just kill me? I mean, will you please? <laughs> we I, call it kill me, Moses. Yeah, we call just it kill me. We I'm call done it kill me. Will you just please take me out? I mean, please bring me home. I'm done with these people. I'm done with this situation. Yeah. I'm done with all this. I'm really asking you to kill me. I think we all had that last year. Too, yeah, yeah, we, did. we all had the Mo experience. But, but you were talking about some of the things uh, about Elijah, and you said the five things. There were things he did that right. we need to take note of. Tell us about some of those. Well, one of them was he, he again, it's, it's important to note that his depression came right after uh, his highest of highs, and most depression actually does. Ninety percent of people uh, it will experience that kind of pain or loneliness or depression after they've been blowing and going. And uh, in fact, I was a I was a youth pastor in Colorado for seven years and back in the eighties. And uh, and I we did a lot of ski trips there. Uh, and, and and what that meant, by the way, is as a youth pastor, is you don't get much skiing. You you ride the chair lift up, you ski down, you check the infirmary. Right, right. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Your chair lift up, back down, check the infirmary. Okay, that's back before cell phones, right? And so, but I'll never forget something one of the paramedics told me in that infirmary. He said ninety percent of all ski accidents happen in the last hour of the day, and there are two things that are going on in the last hour of the day: you're tired, and you don't really even know it, and then you're overconfident. Mm. And a lot of people end up wounded or hurting in their souls because they've gone too hard and they're a bit overconfident, got some pride going on, and that's really a, a bad place. But that was only one of the things that he did. I mean, the next verse in 1 Kings 19, he says he decided to leave his servant there and process this by himself, which is the worst thing you can do. 
And then in the next verse, he says, and I'm no better than my ancestors. What does that have to do with anything? Now he's comparing himself to others, and he's, right. he's doing what psychologists call ruminating. Of course, a ruminating animal is someone who chews the cud, uh, an animal that chews the cud. Uh, so chewing the cud means right. you, you eat, you swallow it, you throw it up in your mouth, and you eat it some more. Yeah. You swallow it, you bring it back up and chew it some more. And we do that with our thoughts. So, that, so psychologists call it ruminating. Right. Where and by the way, it never gets better. No, <laughs> it gets, about harping on it doesn't do anything. No, it, when you bring it back up, it's never going to come back in a better condition. Right. And and our thoughts uh, don't either. When when we do it, you know, all alone, we're not processing with the right people. So we, we don't don't allow yourself to be isolated away. Right. Uh, don't uh, be careful when you're coming off of a high, being overconfident. Uh, uh, watch yourself. You know, I, I love the part about about rest because. Uh, and I can tend to struggle with this because I'm kind of a – I, I want to be accelerated to the floor, and then when everything's done, I stop. Not go a little while, stop. Go a little, I, I don't like that. It drives me crazy. You seem to be similar that way too from my times with you. But at times I won't recognize that I'm tired and, and I need to rest. And I, I love what the uh, old pastor said the time he was getting <laughs> flack about his sabbatical. And the, the, the person in the church says, well, you know, I can't believe you're going to take this, this time away. You know, the devil never rests. And the pastor said, yeah, but Jesus did. I'm not trying to be like the devil. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm, I'm trying to be like Jesus. So we also need to be able to recognize when we do need to refresh. And probably also um, kind of make a, make a list of the things you're not going to do. You know, the, the wisdom of life consists in the elimination of the non-essentials. Uh, one of the best books I've ever read was a book called Essentialism. It was the disciplined pursuit of less. Right. And so, so it's not being less busy or less effective. It's just not having the things in your life that really have no place there. Right. Ecclesiastes says better one handful and have tranquility than to have two handfuls and have toil and a chasing after the wind. So you have two hands, so you can do it, but not everything that is doable is sustainable. Right. So we keep trying to fill it all up. Well, you can do that, but it obviously if they're both full, it doesn't leave you opportunity for anything else that comes along the way. Yeah, I, I had a circle concept that, that I, because I, I, I struggle in that. You know, when the show first started taking off and then the stuff the show enabled us to do, uh, you know, and, and the show is everything we do is a ministry. If you're a follower of Jesus, everybody's in ministry. You know, we remember had David Green talking about that on the show from Hobby Lobby. Whether it's your vocation or not, you don't have a choice. Wherever you are, right. you're in ministry. And so trying to manage all that, and one of the things that I, and it took me a lot of trial and error, was that I said, here's what I'm going to establish. I'm going to find out the way my life works, that I'm being the husband I need to be, I'm being the, the parent I need to be, and then I'm being the, uh, the co-host of this show uh, and business partner to Bubba the way I need to be, and then I'm going to be doing the stuff that God's called me to. How do I, how do I manage all that uh, and, you know, outside of the right, show? Right. Well, I realized if you can f- form this, this, this circle in your mind, however big it is, and where I had made the mistake is I would just make the circle bigger. When something else would come along, I'd just make it bigger. So I said, no, no, the circle will never grow, back to what you were just talking right. about. So somebody shows up and says, here's something I'd like you to get involved with. Well, then I look in the circle and say, well, then something's got to go if I'm going to do this. If everything in the circle is still so prioritized they can't be moved, right. then this person is told no. Yeah, I, I just I can't add it to the circle. You go I'd with ha- a pie chart. Right. I'd, I'd have to grow the circle to <laughs> yeah, get that yeah. in, which now – back to the one hand versus two hands, now I'm overwhelmed and I'm not doing any of it well. And, I heard somebody use the illustration of a, of a plate at a buffet. You know, the plate's only so big, yeah. but there's more items that can fit on it 
uh, then, then you know, so you got to pick what you want to eat. Right. You know, you hard get sideboards. You prioritize, and there's different stages of life. Yeah. Now I'm an empty nester, so the circle looks different than when all my children mm-hmm. were at home. You know, and and the stuff that I'm doing that, that God's called me to in men's ministry. Well, now that means I'm not doing so many. Hey, can you just come speak just because? You know, can you come do this youth thing? No. I, I'm I'm called to men's ministry right now, so that's going to be that's you good. know the, the, the you know and so not that I don't those things aren't important, I, I just can't get it in the circle. Well, you know, and and I think that helps us from someone who tended to overwhelm themselves. I think right. that helps. And and I think the point you made a minute ago was something I had to do, and that is not make decisions when you're tired. Yeah. And unfortunately, a large part of our day we're tired because <laughs> of the time we get up. So uh, you know, there's time. I, and I finally learned this lesson. I just will not make complicated That's I mean, good. decisions when I'm tired. Sometimes that aggravates Rick. Sometimes it aggravates my wife. But I just go, look, I'm going to get a fresh yeah. start on it. And things are just clear. As you say, the wires are no connected doubt. at that point. And don't counsel yourself when you're tired. So a lot of people, <laughs> when they're in pain – they're listening to themselves, and that's that's the mistake. I mean, that's what that's unfortunately that's what Elijah did. He 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 starts talking to himself. He's making up stuff. He's saying, you know, I'm the only one I'm left. The only one. Yeah, exactly. What? No, there's thousands more. <laughs> right, you're yeah. not the only one. Yeah. Poor, poor, pitiful you. Yeah, and so, but we all do it because, and that's why I use the metaphor of the cave because when you're in the cave, even if there's others there, you don't know they're there. You're alone. It's dark. It's disorienting. And there's got to be bats, right? There's the, you know, <laughs> yeah. so it could be a butterfly, but it feels like a bat. Yeah. But that's the feeling of depression, honestly, right. that a lot of people are going through. And I think one of the biggest that he did, I call it in the book, Scrolling Away Your Peace, um, is the name of the chapter. But it's on the culture of comparison that yeah. we have right now that's, that's fueled by social media, which uh. is, honestly, I hope that that, that, that generation of, oh. of getting your self-worth from likes and people you don't know i I hope that's coming to an end soon because even the content creators aren't allowing their children to use it i know you guys know that and 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 many are even renouncing what they've created right yeah yeah. we'll take a break we'll come back also want to talk about you talk about things you should not say to people when they're into depression so let's talk about that when we come back on rick and bubba university the podcast all right so bubba let's talk about tommy john uh you talk about comfortable i mean you know i know we're we're dudes and and so I remember thinking, why should we be concerned about our underwear? Yeah, we've, okay. we've never mean, really paid no, a lot no, no. of attention to it. Uh, no. What kind or what kind of shape it's in, for the most part. Well, right? yeah, and that's when until, until, they, until you try these. Until they <laughs> sent us the Tommy John. Uh, and I like what Tommy John says. We don't have customers, we have fanatics. You know why? Because it's so different. I mean, it, it's, that, it's so much more comfortable. Uh, so uh, let me tell you, if, if you're wearing Tommy John's hammock pouch underwear, and Bob, I know these are some of your favorites. Yes, they are. Uh, you're much more comfortable, and, and I'll just let you fill in why we call it the hammock pouch, but you'll be glad it's there. And you can do everything better. Uh, and it's, uh, it's one of the greatest, uh, they're calling it the gr- one of life's greatest inventions is that, uh, is that pouch underwear. Well, it's designed for guys. Yeah, it is. Thank you. Uh, dozens of comforts. Uh, there's a lot of innovations you'll love if you haven't tried them. Uh, try them, you, you'll be going back. Do you realize that they have that air mesh interior hammock and, and I'll the moisture-wicking fabric? So you know what? Let's just call it. You, you're more comfortable because you don't want to feel like, hey, I, I, I hate to say it, that not-so-fresh feeling. Yeah. There it is. Uh, so, so why don't you go right now to, to get the, the most comfortable underwear that you have ever put on. Also, the the non-rolling waistband for the. I mean, guys, if you ever thing wads up on you, they they don't with this. And how about this? Tommy John says when you put on their underwear, and we will say it is, it'll be the best pair you ever wear. Or how about this? It's free. If you don't think it's the Boom. most comfortable you ever put on, it's free. So here's what you need to do. Here's the call to action. You ready? 
Let's get 20% off the first order. TommyJohn.com slash Rick Bubba. That's 20% off your first order of underwear and loungewear by going to TommyJohn.com slash Rick Bubba. Check out the site for all the details. Chris Hodges, our guest on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, the book, Out of the Cave, uh, taking on the discussion of depression uh, and using uh, the the story of Elijah and his history in the Bible and what he went through. We talked about some of the things that Elijah did that led to this problem. But you also, in this book, uh, Chris, talk about, you don't have to do all ten, but but there's certain things you should not say to someone. I remember my wife saying to me one time, did you learn anything other than you just have to get over it? Did, did, in, did, your, <laughs> right. did you learn anything in your family of you just got to get it done? Uh, do you have anything else to say? And I assume some of that is some of the stuff that's problematic. Yeah, and I know you guys experienced this yep. uh, when your son went to heaven, yep. that, that people were very well-meaning. Oh, yes. But and you knew they were, honestly. and I knew they were, I, and I gave them some grace. Yeah, yeah and, and, and they, you, they don't know what to say. Exactly, and they but they often uh, got it wrong right. in what they said, and that's why I actually wrote a, a list of ten things not to say, and then ten things that would actually help, and it's in the book. But let me just—I'll read a couple of them. Like, like one of them is, "Come on, you know, just try a little harder," right. or, or or some actually over spiritualize it. Like, well, what does your quiet time look like right now? You know, <laughs> <laughs> don't you love that one, right? Yeah. Or the guy, the person who goes, really, you know, they they they're almost disbelieving. They're, you know, you're suffering from depression, you know, or, uh, or one of my my favorite is, or the worst that's my favorite, but but is where they they begin to tell their story. Well, I've gone, through, well, you know, and they just oh, yeah, they, 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 they kind of completely ignore your issue. Yeah. We call that the famous starts out with that ain't nothing. <laughs> exactly. exactly. You know, and it, then you're more <laughs> depressed because of your situation in there. <laughs> exactly. Yes, the redirecting. It's uh, the, or the dismissing. Uh, this too shall pass. You'll get over it. Right. So anyway, there are a lot of things that I think people that again are well intentioned that don't know. And I actually wrote this book not just for the people who may be dealing with depression, but for the people who know someone who is. So they can be a better friend and point them in the right direction. Chris, let me ask you this. And this is probably going to be a dumb question, okay? But is most of the time when we talk about depression, is it uh, is it uh, a situational thing that you get into, or do you th- kind of think your way into it, or is it a a medical problem? Because back to what we were talking about earlier, I, I can be a Christian, I can be walking with the Lord just exactly like I'm supposed to. I still can break my arm. Right, and if I have a broke arm, I can't lift things. So, how did what 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 are we talking about when we say depression? What what are we talking about in the physiological way? Yeah, that's not a that's not a bad question. It's a great actually. question. Yeah, in fact, most doctors and psychologists think there are about nine major causes, and they can be varying. It can they can be genetic and biological, and and some of them are situational. I actually went through a small bout of depression. <laughs> not too long ago, about about two years ago, when I had rotator cuff surgery and ended up sleeping on the couch for nine weeks, mm. and just the just the sheer loneliness. I mean, watching my wife walk up the stairs, <laughs> night, out of the, night. yeah, and just like okay, you know, and couldn't sleep well. And next thing I know, I was really honestly, I was in a bad place. Mine mine yeah. wasn't in a healthy yeah. place. So a lot of it is. It's, it, I write an entire chapter called Rainy Days and Mondays. Right. That right. Just, it just, so you put that down. under situational. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, so it just happened to me. It wasn't right. the devil and it wasn't God and it mm-hmm. was, you know, it wasn't, wasn't you falling down. It wasn't my situation. Wasn't a test. Exactly. Yeah. But it was very real. Man, yeah. I was in a dark place, man. I was having bad thoughts and, uh, and, and contemplating doing bad things, you know, and, and just, 
not to myself, but just, you know, you just get in a dark place. Yeah. And, and once again, I, I, I have the, the gift of age and hopefully a little bit of maturity that, <laughs> that knows, you know, what, what I needed to do. And, and, and I will say with every kind of experience that I've had over my lifetime, they've gotten all gotten easier just because I've known what to do. Right. Do you think? And I will tell myself sometimes one of the things you said not to tell somebody, hey, it'll pass. Just <laughs> right. just hang on. Right. It'll, it'll all go away. Just hang on. Well, yeah. My, my favorite was when someone came up to Sherry and I as we were standing in front of the casket, casket it at the everybody come by and said, you know, most marriages don't survive this. Yeah. Thank, hey, thank you. Yeah, that's a blessing. Thank you. By the way, much. that's a lie. That's not true. Exactly. Uh, it's, if, if you go back and look, that's actually some of the one these things we've made up. If you go back and look, that that people who, you know, most marriages that don't survive that kind of trauma were already in trouble. And just like Scripture says, all it did is reveal the state of the marriage. Exactly. It is not what destroyed the marriage. It just revealed the state of the marriage because it was a situation where the marriage comes to the top, and here it is because you're finally doing things. When you get in that kind of stuff, you start doing marriage the way God said to do it. Exactly. You know, and, and so it, it actually can have the opposite effect. But, uh, but one, one of the things you were talking about is recognizing, you know, when, when, the, when it's coming on, recognizing what's happening. And, um, and, and, and I, just like, like I know for a fact, as I got older, like you're talking about, I know that if Sherry and I are going to be about to do a marriage conference or I'm about to go speak at, at some kind of men's thing or she's going to do some kind of women's thing, I know we're going to have a fight that day. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's going to happen because I know the adversary is going to try to turn us against each other and try to have some kind of play on what's going on. So Sherry and I have learned to recognize that. You know, I don't know why I'm so frustrated with you right now. And they also will go, but one of us is speaking today or we're speaking That's together. exactly right. That, yeah. That's what this is. So you start trying to recognize, you know, well, here it comes. Right. And, and that way you know what it is. But, uh, but you know, the, there's also the kind of depression you talk about in this book. I mean, Steve Farrar is one of the legends of men's ministry and just as a pastor in general. And I never will forget, and he's talked about it several times, and he's mentioned it in, one, in some of his books. One day, just out of nowhere, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, here's this guy, and I think this will help some people. Here's this guy that I think, man, he could walk through. He's, he's afraid of nothing. I mean, he's a man's man. This is the kind of guy I hope that I grow up to be. He's a mentor. And also he goes, you know, when I went through my three years of depression, and I remember I went, what did he say? Did Farrar say he went through mm-hmm. He said, I was in a three-year depression that was so dark yeah. and so awful. And, and he talks about the things that you that, that did help him right. from his friends. So talk about that for a minute. And he, he said these were the things that, that God used to get me through it, but it was three years, he said, that I, that, that I was under this oppressive depression. And this is a man of God that knows the scriptures. He's been a pastor. He's written the books. He knows all the stuff. But he said it, it was very real for me, and there were things that, that God used to get me out of it. Yeah. There's actually um – there's actually a list in that chapter. Um, you know, I, I see, let me back up. I see, I see the Bible. When I read the Bible, because of the way I was trained, I see points, you know, and, and I see things in lists. And so, and, and I like lists. If I had a list of everything I like, lists would be at the top of the list. I mean, I like it. But so when I was reading this chapter. <laughs> you love a list, don't you? I really do. Yeah. And so when I was reading this chapter, though, there, there, were, there were five clear steps that he did or that the angel of the Lord led Amen. him through. And I think it's a prescription. Yeah, I think I it was good for him then, and I think it's good for us now. It made the Bible. It must be big. Exactly. But it wasn't just for him. I think God puts those in there mm-hmm. to tell great stories, but also as a playbook yes. for all of us today. And, and what was interesting is the first thing, and I love this, and you guys, I think you'll love this. The first thing the angel of the Lord did, so you think about it. So here's the angel coming to Elijah. 
They just, what do you think he would say first? You would think like an angel would say, you know, repent or, or go read your Bible or you need to pray or sacrifice. Why don't you worship? Yeah. 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 And the first thing he said, he said, um, he said, Hey, go sleep. Let's, let's get some sleep. Mm. Now wake up and let's get something to eat. And when he woke up and ate, he said, know what? You know what? Go back and go, let's go get some more sleep. Hey, let's wake up. Let's eat again. Twice. Sleep, eat, sleep, eat. Hey, that's my kind. I Can I get right a better there. amen? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Bubba just came alive. He'll never be afraid. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I think it's impossible for Bubba to be affected by this. Isn't that great? <laughs> I, I knew you'd love I'm that. I'm already on the prescription. <laughs> You're exactly. right. Exactly. Well, no, pre- preventative. Preventative. Exactly. Yeah. But the Bible says strengthened by that food, he took the next four steps. So, and, and, and I make the point in the book that is, you know, a lot of times to get healthy, you got to get healthy before you can get healthy. Correct. You, you have to somewhat yeah. stop the bleeding before we go to the surgery room, right? And right. so, and that was the prescription. And I talk about what we can do to physically take care of ourselves so we can take the next steps. Because the second step was a more spiritual one where he had this, you know, I call it the earth, wind, and fire they thought they made that up, but they didn't. But <laughs> right. the earth went in fire, and and the and the, and the you know the gentle whisper where God, you know, He encountered God in a in a in an intimate and personal way, which every person needs. I'm convinced and can have, and it can be cultivated. And I write about that in the book. But there were these clear steps of how to get out of that cave. Yeah, and and Farrar talked about that, and you just mentioned it. He said what really helped me the most is that my brother, and my friends just kept on checking on me. Yep. They, they, they kept coming by. Mm-hmm. They kept spending time with me. They kept bringing me something to eat. They kept, they kept, they just, he said, even though, cause I knew the deal cause I know who God is and I know what all this is, but it was still real. And you know, one of the things I thought about looking at this book and I know Elijah is no doubt you picked probably, I mean, this is the perfect, uh, uh, historical documentation of the Bible to talk about this. But I always think about like when people talk about difficulty and they say, well, why would we as followers of Christ think we're going to be exempted from difficulty when he didn't exempt himself from it? Exactly. And we do know in the Gospel of John that Jesus, the 100% man side of him, and of course in the other Gospels, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see it again. But in John, he talks about that Jesus himself says that his heart was troubled, that he saw the crucifixion coming, and he even says, but I know this is why I'm here. Exactly. I'm here to do this, but still it's daunting Mm -hmm. And I'm being troubled by, by what's ahead. Even Jesus, in, when he took on the 100%, when God said, I'm going to become 100% man and 100% God, I'm, I'm going I'm to give up some of my glory. I will remain deity, but I'm going to become man. In that part, as he walks, and that's what we say a lot of times in the men's ministry stuff, if you want to know how to be a man, how about when God became one? Exactly. That's a pretty good example. Uh, it's a perfect one. But Jesus himself said, hey, I'm, I'm troubled. Yeah, uh, and, and then you get to the garden, and now his capillaries are bursting, and he's like, can you remove this cup? Is there another way to go about this? And then, of course, eventually he says, well, I'm here to do my Father's will. But I, I think it's important to remember that Jesus was talking even to himself. That's exactly right. What am I troubled about? This is why I'm supposed to come. I knew this was the deal, yeah, but, it's, but it still was, was part of was, the human it, experience. Yeah, it was still troublesome. It's actually bad theology of people who believe that God has obligated himself to make you happy all the time. Yeah. That's just not, it's not what the Bible says. And that get that gets preached a lot, but it's just bad theology. When in fact, Jesus said in this world, here's your promise in this world, you're going to have tribulation. There it is. Yeah. Nobody has that verse on the refrigerator, right? No, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, that ain't a big seller to old bumper sticker <laughs> yeah, yeah. story. Exactly. <laughs> I want to get to the part where he says he overcome the world. He, he's going to say that, no. but at first he says in this world, you have tribulation. And that is what he came to do. He didn't come to take it away. He came to help you through it. Amen. Right. 
exactly. And so even the Apostle Paul had had a, I think, a suicidal moment. He 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 could, admits to in Second Corinthians one, when he said, "I was just, I despaired even of life." That all of his troubles, and he lists them, and there there's a long list in First, first Corinthians eleven. But boy, it does. If you if you think you had a tough day, go read that. Matter of fact, you don't want Paul to come and say, well, "I ain't nothing." <laughs> exactly. Because you know, you know, his would be true. Yeah, yeah. Would be. <laughs> it was it was quite the list. But uh, but yeah, but but he, but he but he also went back to your point to his purpose. He says, but I suffered this so that the comfort that I received, right. I can pass that on to you. Right. And that's what, that's what, that's eventually what helps people is when they, as Victor Frankl said, take whatever suffering you experienced and help it, use it to help someone else. All right. We're going to come back. I know Bubba, you got another question and we'll continue our conversation with Chris Hodges. The book is out of the cave and we'll talk more about this when Rick and Bubba university, the podcast continues. All right, so let, let's talk about uh, uh, that, that. You know, when you think about what's going on uh, with America right now, and we're talking about uncertainty in our interview today, and and that you shouldn't let that own you. But there's nothing wrong with preparing. And uh, you know, when you when you look out there right now, and you think about, we were talking about this week, Bubba. What happened? We we had a hack. Yep. You know that they came in, and all of a sudden, gasoline. Whoa! Nope. Shut down the whole East Coast. Wait a minute. And then people said, "What if they can get to the grid or or whatever?" So, and and I, you shouldn't live, you know, anxious about that all the time. But but it's it's okay to say, "Well, we see some sneak previews. I, I might want to get prepared." Uh, so now we point you to my Patriot Supply. Uh, make sure that you have enough food, water, and supplies, you know, and and a stockpile today. That's not a lack of faith, no. by the way, to prepare. No, it, it's it's it. Preparation is not a sin. Nope. Uh, and and they've been in business for over a dozen years, and they've served millions of families. Uh, and uh, how about this? They've got uh, 39,000 four- and five-star reviews. The food's packaged to stay fresh up to 25 years. Right now you can save $50 on their four-week emergency food kit. Now, this is delicious, calorie-rich food, averaging 2,000 calories a day, and that's what we need. That's what we need to, 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 to stay alive. So go to preparewithrickandbubba.com and save $50 on a four-week kit. Now, don't wait. Go ahead and do this now. Uh, preparation is important, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, what do we say about the five P's? Prior planning prevents poor performance. Uh, so prepare with Rick and Bubba uh, by going to preparewithrickandbubba.com. That's preparewithrickandbubba.com. All right, so we're talking to Chris Hodges. Uh, we got a, f- a few more minutes left uh, about the book, Out of the Cave. It's available everywhere. You can grab it. The Ford is by uh, Rick Warren. Uh, and, Bubba, you had a question concerning yeah. this discussion about uh, depression. Yeah, I, I know in the book you address uh, your daily decla- declaration that uh, solidifies who you are in Christ. Talk talk about that just a little bit because I, I think there's probably a lot of people out there that just yeah. need to hear that. Well, if one of the causes is this culture of comparison, which I'm convinced it is, the, the net result of that is a lot of people have uh, either a bad identity or the wrong one. And so they're just mm. they're not seeing themselves the right way. So I write an entire chapter about stepping into a clear identity. What Elijah did, by the way, in the Bible says he, he said he pulled his cloak over his face. So in other words, when God was dealing with him and he's trying to get him out of this cave of depression, there was this moment where he was actually ashamed of what he had become, and he pulled his cloak over his face. And then it's there that God spoke to him truth. So by the way, God never answered his <laughs> his complaints about, you know, I'm the only one left and all of this. He's, he started speaking into him who he is. And I think that's very, very important. I tell a story in in the book of, about um, th- this this girl who's actually abducted out of out of Colombia uh, at 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 four years old and dragged into the jungle and spent ten years in a jungle living among apes. Um, National Geographic actually tells this story. Oh yes, she, she, yeah. 
So she thought she Marina Chapman. She yeah. thought she was an animal, and she was living in a jungle until she found a mirror. That's right. In the bottom of the jungle floor, and for the first time, she saw who she was. She didn't know exactly who she was, but she knew who she wasn't. And I tell that story to say a lot of you have been pulled into an identity that's going to wreck you, it's going to get you depressed because it's not who you are, and we've got to see ourselves the way God sees us. So I have a declaration that I use because actually, a little confession here the only thing that I've struggled with my entire life, and I still honestly do to some degree today, and people are shocked to hear this, is. Um, I don't really think that much of myself, honestly. I, I feel I get intimidated even when I preach because I walk out on the stage thinking those people are actually smarter than me, and I don't know why you chose me. And I have an inferiority complex. I always have. I was bullied in junior high and failed my speech class at LSU. I mean, they don't even speak English there, you know. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so I just I, that, those those thoughts come back. But that's not the truth. The truth is, I am called of God. God picked me to do what I'm doing. And when I remind myself that, not in an arrogant way, but in a in a in a, in a God confidence, man, it, it it helps your it helps your soul. How about the fact we're eternal beings? Made in God's image. That yeah. blows me away. And the you more know? you remind yourself of that, the, the better your thoughts, the, you know, the better your soul is going to be as well. Well, and, and if God's called you to something, Chris, as you have to probably tell yourself all the time based on what you said, then he, he's going with you. He doesn't send you by yourself. And I know that. You're right, yeah. <laughs> but I forget that. I know. And no, everybody does. But you have, yeah. to, you have to go back and remind yourself of that. And you see God really, I think the thing about this story that is the most beautiful to me is that Elijah, it would have been very easy. Okay, and it's not that God doesn't doesn't chasten us. He does. The Bible says he does, and he disciplines us. But it would have been very easy for God to go, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I mean, all the stuff that you just saw me do, okay, you were even trash-talking these prophets of Baal, okay? And, 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 and you Put a saw, bunch of them down, yeah, by the and, way. And by the way, the way they closed that out, nobody <laughs> likes to talk about that either. Yeah. They yeah. killed all of them. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So then and Elijah said, I'll take the knife now, and let's, let's, let's get rid of these blasphemers. But then he says, you know, like you were talking about, but, and we always, Bub and I joke about this a little bit. So now you're in this state because some crazy woman says she's going to kill you? Which so, says a lot about the fear of crazy women, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, say, I didn't say godly women. I said right. crazy women. Because Elijah says Jezebel, he seems to be more terrified of that than the prophets of Baal. It's exactly. Because he only knew God in the public arena, mm-hmm. and he didn't know him in the private. Mm. So he has this, you know, Mount Carmel everybody there that would be like the stage for me on a sunday i'm pretty confident on that stage when the room's full yeah but man you get in that private place which yeah. was mount horeb which is where he's alone yeah and it's a different experience and so i talk about in the book how you have to know god in both ways but but I, but the finish on it you're right because what i love about the story is no matter how as you said ridiculous elijah is acting and God does call him on it a little bit and says, by the way, you're not the only one. You know, right. One of the things that my wife talks about with even the things that we've been through, and it was, it was The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian, a book from 1950 that everybody needs to read once a year, every year. Okay? And it's not a long book. And she said, you know, I, that's the first time that I'd had a pastor point to me in Scripture that self-pity is actually a sin. Mm-hmm. It's a sin. And, and so for me to be poor, poor, pitiful me is sinful. That's exactly right. You know, and, and so, but anyway, and God says, okay, you know, you, you're being a drama queen a little bit here, <laughs> but we can't forget this. He restores him. He does take care of him. He does send the angel down to say, let's get some sleep, let's get some food, let's get some rest. And he does talk to him in a whisper. He showed him all he could be, 
Right. And then he talked to him and whisper. We also serve a God, even when we are doing everything wrong, if we will just sit there, he'll come back and restore us. Yep. And the next thing he did is he gave him a new assignment. That's right. So that's, and honestly, if I have a chapter that I like the most, or if I have a prescription that I like the most, it's the fact that I think wind comes back in your sails when you have this new assignment. So God never addresses all his complaints. He says, okay, now go anoint this guy, go anoint this guy. In other words, get back to work. Let's go. We got stuff to do. And you can see the life come back in him. And one of those, by the way, was Elisha, who would be his protege, right? And, and, and from then on, he never did ministry alone. He never did life alone, to your point earlier. He always had a companion, this Elisha, and he never is depressed again that we know of in Scripture. And I think, and that's the final solution is that I call it a sustaining relationship. So, so it helps you stay healthy, and, and I think it's what, what great leaders actually do. And he also granted Elijah's wish that says, really, I think I'm done. And, okay, well, let's go get this other guy, and that's going to be your new mission to your point. But you know, Elijah also the whole time was going, I'm getting this guy ready because I'm about to be right. relieved of this duty. And I'm ready to go home. And God said, okay. But God took him home when God said he was to go home. That's another thing that people buy into in depression is that you're supposed to end it. You decide when you want to release yourself from this. That's not our call. And don't, don't, ever, don't ever forget that. Don't let the adversary talk you in to saying this is too hard, this is too dark, and I want out, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Satan's way out. You know? and, and, and God says, no, 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 I will resolve this, and I will, I'm going I'm to teach you what I want to teach you. Just, just listen, We're, we, you know, but I decide when, when all, of the, all of this is over, and I'll bring you to me. Yeah. I'll and wow, what a ride home. Oh, buddy, yeah. yeah. Elijah got the ride, didn't he? <laughs> he did. Yeah. He did. And, and that's why, you know, at our church, I think, honestly, if, if we've done one thing well at Church of the Highlands is – is we help people, first of all, have, an ex- have a, a genuine relationship with the living God, deal with their issues, their yesterdays. We call it find freedom. So they know God, they find freedom. But the last two parts are where this power comes in, discovering your purpose and making a difference. And if I could, if anybody, if, it, if the people that are listening could hear any one thing, I think it's the most powerful thing is to realize that you are here on purpose for a purpose. You're not an accident. There's things to do. Your life can impact others. Even your pain, probably, God will use it in a powerful way to help other people, and that's what I want people to know. And, Chris, I, I want to compliment you, too. You obviously do a great job. You've, you've done a great job with the church, but I love your humor, and don't ever lose that. I love your humor and the way you address things. That's the, it, that's it, it the Cajun in me. I've got to have a little food and a little fun. You know? So uh, to close out, you talk about, uh, and you have in the book, a, a prayer from your wife, Tammy. Yeah. So people who say, I've got somebody in this situation, how do I pray for them? What, what, what are some things you could tell us? Yeah, well, the, 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 the main point is go to God. That's right. And God cares. You know, cast all your cares on him. He cares. I'll say it again. He cares. He's, he's not overlooking you. Uh, uh, they think there's been studies out there that people have this wrong view of God, that he's angry or that he's disinterested. That's most people's view of God. Well, he's not. He's very loving and he's very interested and so I did put in the book the prayers that Tammy has prayed for me when I've mm. gone through these situations. And, of course, she's, she's gone through it as well. She lost both, both of her parents in, her, in their 60s. And, and, um, and so, we, you know, we, we both had to hold each other up. But, but there's a lot of scriptures in here, too, about scriptures you can read whenever you're going through depression that, that, that I think will bring encouragement. And, and so it's, it's more than just a bunch of stories and, and, and a study of those chapters. It's this book, I intended it to be a resource.
Well, it is, and uh, you, you can get it again. It's called Out of the Cave, Stepping into the Light When Depression Darkens What You See. And I hope some of you that maybe saw the topic uh, of this podcast and, and you kind of leaned in and you really haven't told anybody yet, and you're like, I, I need to hear what they're talking about because you might be struggling. You know, so you're, listen to everything that we're saying here, and this, this also may be a good resource for you. This is, this is not something God's unaware of. He hasn't abandoned you. Uh, and, and, and he's really, you know, he wants you to look to him and, uh, and of course, try to, try to let somebody know, don't, don't we said this exactly. uh, so many times people are embarrassed to say, Hey, I'm struggling. I, I, I really need some help because you think it's going to make you look weak or you think you're going to be a killjoy or you're going to ruin the fun zone or whatever. And your friends are going to think less of you and your spouse is going to think less of you. All of that's lies from the hell. All that's just a lie. Yeah, and so the manuscript, kind of a fun closing story, the manuscript was actually due in March of 2020. Anybody remember that month? <laughs> yes, yes, I and do. And so yeah. I actually asked the publisher, I said, look, I need a few more months. I knew what was coming up with the pandemic and everything, and actually uh, it's been pretty widely broadcasted, some things that happened to me in the month of June of 2020 as well, and, and I get pretty vulnerable about that in the book. I'd write what that experience felt like for me for those two or three weeks when uh, all of felt like all of hell was... <laughs> crashing in yes. all around me. And so, you know, confession's good for the soul, but bad for the reputation. But I'm, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but I went for it, you know, just to, in the hopes of letting people know that you're not alone. And um, I took the risk. I felt like it felt like a risk of, of being vulnerable to let people know um, that, that there is a way out, you know, and, and, and all of us face some dark times like that. So anyway, I'm, I'm praying it's going to be a blessing to a lot of people. It will be out of the cave available wherever books are sold by Chris Hodges. Chris, thanks for being with us, and thanks to all of you for watching and or listening to this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast.